This podcast brought to you by Earthlink. It's Friday, January 20th, 2006. I'm Hollywood, author of CNET's Buzz Report. And I'm Tom Merritt, author of CNET's The Real Deal. Welcome to Buzz Out Loud, CNET's podcast of indeterminate length, featuring our fabulous producer, Veronica. Yay! Hooray! She um, look, it's excited. Come on. I know. Look happier. I'm hungry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the lunch hour curse strikes. Yeah. I have had too much coffee and not enough food, so I may be talking faster than usual today. I, still ha- I haven't had coffee in like two weeks. Oh, right. I haven't had coffee since the belly. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's why you're not excited. I know. I'm, I'm still in I'm coffee just tired withdrawal. That's why you're so angry. It takes years <laughs> yeah. to get coffee out of your system. I'll mm-hmm. say. You know what? I read an article in Scientific American this morning that said one cup of coffee a day raises your chance of hypertension 6%, mm-hmm. but two cups of coffee a day raises it 0%. What? what? And two to three. And then if you go four <laughs> and above, In it starts going like 7% and then 13%. What's but up with the... They, they with don't the know why, but they think the antioxidant effect of... This is a long-term study too. Right. The antioxidant effect of the coffee actually has some kind of balancing effect because it's not true of soda. If you're drinking Coke, yeah. it's like a straight linear progression. Mm. The more ah. Coke you drink, the more chance of hypertension. It's probably like an exponential project. Predi- projection actually yeah probably that stuff is bad no so if you're gonna drink coffee make sure you have two cups okay three cups (laughs) molly has no problem with that (laughs) no problem i think i did that today they were pretty large speaking of health risks (laughs) yes this is bad for you this This is is bad bad for you this is bad for your uh for your column i know mobile phones don't raise cancer risk (gasps) says the largest study on the issue yet oh that makes me feel a lot better about myself a study of 2782 people across the uk found no link between the risk of glioma, the most common type of brain tumor, and length of mobile use. As reported in the BBC. British, uh, British, uh, what, where is the, uh, the, the, the agency in Britain that actually looks over this is still saying, you know what, we still don't recommend children use cell phones. We still think there may be some, some things in here that are wrong, but this is a, right. this is a good positive study so it is very hmm. interesting though and it said among cancer sufferers the tumors were more likely to be reported on the side of the head where they held the phone but the british medical journal study said that people over reported phone use on the side their cancer developed the national huh. radiological protection board is the one that said just you know this is good but <laughs> don't don't overreact case. and of course uh the people over at power watch who are some of the people advocating against you know for more protection against radiation from cell phones pointed out that they should have waited a couple of years and recruited more people although this is a lot of people but they said if you get a grade four glioma you can die within a year or 18 months of it being diagnosed those people are gone from the study they could not get their mobile people have not been interviewed (laughs) so you know the most the people with the most dangerous kind of cancer weren't necessarily so it's like a really big study of people who are still alive who probably didn't get tumors related to their mobile phones. And then it's possible that the people who did get tumors well, no, they related got tumors, to their mobile phones yeah. all died. Well, no, 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 no. It's stage four glioma, which is the most fatal. People with oh, lower see. stages so of glioma were I, in uh, the study. So It's weird, though. That it's really kind of, it's always weird to read scientific research because it's like the, the reporters are the ones who put these very definitive statements uh-huh. in the lead, right? Yeah. There's no link, blah, blah, blah. It says research authors acknowledged that there did appear to be an increased risk among brain cancer sufferers on the side of the head where they held the phone. But they didn't put this down to a causal link because almost exactly the same decreased risk was seen on the other side of the head, leaving no overall increased risk of tumors for mobile phone users. And this is why it's really important for Even people to study. Even though they think there are more. I mean, it's like... 
people need to study statistics because causation Mm -hmm. is very particular. It's not common sense. I mean, it is once you study it, but just, you know, off the surface, saying like, oh, everybody who held their cell phone to the right side said they got cancer on that side. That seems like causation, but it's not. But it's not. Because of this other. Because there's a drop on the opposing side. So the overall risk is not raised. According to the study. And then again, to the study, these these scientists are not studying because they want to decide whether cell phones are bad for you or not. They're studying it because they want to get to the roots of what causes cancer. Right. So they're being very even-handed about this and saying, hey, you know what? This is what this study shows, and that's all it is. We're not right. saying anything more broadly about cell phones. We're yeah. just, you know, this is one more step in getting us towards what causes cancer. And however, right. um, ruining your ears and looking like a jerk, your chances of that have stayed the same. <laughs> very true. And your chances of getting into a wreck while you hold the phone next to your ear. Yes. Everybody will go into Bluetooth headsets and then we'll find out Bluetooth <laughs> causes like some kind of brain I know, trauma. I know. But that is very interesting. Nevertheless, I don't think that the column that I wrote so many months ago is in danger because I think the cell phone industry still has acted quite weasily about the whole thing. Even if they're right, they've acted Even weasily. Even if they're right, yeah, they've acted weasily, which makes them look kind of bad, you know? Speaking of some weasily agencies, let's talk about digital music. Because uh, according to an Associated Press story as printed on Wired, worldwide sales of music over the internet and on mobile phones that don't cause cancer hit $1.1 billion last year, triple the 2004 sales and accounting for 6% of global record company revenues. Wow. The London-based International Federation of the Phonographic Industry. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Says, but the, yeah, says 2005 was the year that the digital music market took shape. Yep. It's true. I know. However, they also called on ISPs to join the fight against music piracy, which it claims severely erodes the profits of the 1,450 member record companies across the globe. It's the golden age of music piracy. So a bunch of people are legally downloading, but it says that um, apparently the legitimate music business is gradually gaining ground on digital piracy. Research shows that in Europe's two biggest digital markets, Britain and Germany, more music fans are now legally downloading music than illegally file swapping. I've been saying this for years. Yeah. Give people a legitimate option and it will probably win out exactly. because it's safer, it's better quality, it's and it's legal. Yep. Although it's DRM'd all to hell and that's going to ruin it if they're not careful. Not always. Digital audio lunchbox, not. Man, I got to say, I spent a couple hours on all of MP3 last night mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was awesome. Was I legal? I'm not saying and I bought probably anything. not legal for you. I'm not saying I bought anything. I just looked at it. Yeah. It is pretty awesome looking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it is awesome looking. Okay, uh, speaking of DRM. EMI uh, is considering opening its DRM to inspection because, in my opinion, I think they fear the Sony rootkit fiasco. What's happening yes. is the EFF has said, we want permission to reverse engineer your DRM and make sure it's not harmful. Mm-hmm. And in the past, record companies would have said, no F way. Right. You are not getting your hands on it. You know, we are protecting beyond reason our copyright. Now EMI is like, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe we should let you do that. That's not such a bad idea. Uh, because and in light EMI, of the Sony Rootkit thing. Hmm. Yep. And EMI, you remember, came out after the Sony Rootkit thing and said, hey, we don't use Rootkits ever in our CDs. And basically, the Electronic Frontier Foundation is saying, great, prove it. Right. Yeah, or exactly. let us prove it. And uh, we'll see what they find out. Yep. Presumably, if EMI does agree, they will have at least wiped their DRM of any... <laughs> Surreptitious software. Meanwhile, the RIAA does not rest, according to a <laughs> posting on Dig submitted 20 hours ago. Uh, the RIAA wants to uh, prevent XM from allowing their receivers to record the music delivered over XM that you pay for. Right. I actually wrote about this a couple, uh, maybe a week ago or so in the buzz, the, the daily buzz, because uh-huh. I am on it. But it's really taken off on the web. The RIAA apparently, they they basically don't 
want you to, you know, in the old days when you had a radio and you just hold your little tape recorder up to it and you'd record the radio that was coming out. They don't want you to do that with XM because it's going to sound a lot better and you can make a digital recording. Yeah, but you know what? It doesn't sound as good as an MP3 to me. I have XM right, radio. Right. And actually, that's one of the things I get in an argument with uh, my friend Patrick Norton all the time because he thinks Sirius sounds better and I don't. I think XM sounds better, but we both agree that neither one of them sound totally CD quality, mm-hmm. even though they're digital, mm-hmm. because they have to be broadcast to the satellite and there are reception issues. Right. So when I record these songs onto my XM MiFi, I mean, yeah, I could hack it and pull them off, but why would I want to? I know. I just do it so that when I don't have reception, I got something to listen to. Yeah, and if you did, wouldn't it just be so you could listen to your favorite song over and over? I mean, for God's sake, it's not like you're going to then take that and put that on the internet at like a 92 kbps bitrate and have people download it. You know, I mean, it's just, it's interesting. This article on cdfreaks.com talks about how it is reminiscent of the 70s when the music industry came out with this home taping is killing music. Right. Yeah. Slogan. uh Uh-huh. And did home taping kill music? Yeah, not so much. And did it kill the radios? No. Apparently, at the time, home taping was generally considered to be fair use. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately... Well, there was the famous case that determined that it was. Right. In 1998, though, the Congress caved. I mean, uh, changed the rules such that record labels have the right to collect royalties for satellite and radio broadcasts. So they can collect royalties from the companies, right, from from XM, for example. So they're getting paid. So they're already getting paid... And now they're saying that you, even though you may pay a subscription fee already, which you do, that helps to pay the licensing, the royalty licensing fees, you should still not be allowed to record the stuff that you already paid for. Now I understand. And listen to it in crappy quality. I mean, come on. I understand a little more if the objection was somehow XM made it really easy to chop up these songs and share them. But then right. we're, we're five steps away from that. I know. And you know what? It's just part of the ir- it's just irrational. I feel like they have a team of people who sit back there and are like, "What might people do? And how would it cost us money? And how mm-hmm. can we clamp right down?" Ugh. All right, we we have to get this out of our system. So we'll we'll come back in a second and we'll tell you about the WMF flaw. Uh, we'll rant a little more about Google and Apple's Intel Max, and also tell you something Apple broke. Do you believe anything is possible at Earthlink? We do. We believe the same company that delivers your lightning-fast DSL connection can deliver your home phone service and wireless service, too. One company for all your communication needs. Visit earthlink.net and start believing today. Earthlink, we revolve around you. I feel a little better. Okay. Got that off your chest? Kind of. I feel lightning better. Until Monday. Uh, I'll be mad about it again. Mark Rusinovich... Has responded to Steve Gibson's allegations that the WMF, the Windows Metafile flaw, was intentionally a, a, installed as a backdoor. By Microsoft. Mark says, mm, I don't think so. Yeah. Mark, I mean, there's a lot more technical details to it, but. Mark Rusinovich now being the O infallible one on all matters of PC security. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, well, he's a smart guy. You know, like, all, I don't. I'm, all I'm saying is. probably true. You know what? You can look at Steve's allegations. You can look at Mark's allegations and then yeah. you can decide for yourself. Yeah, You've got a couple said, of experts here. He said most likely Microsoft didn't do it, which is kind of what I think other security experts had said too. So, so there you go. So there you go. That's our follow-up. Take it for what it's worth. Google, we talked about this yesterday. Google re- still resisting that federal subpoena. What you may not realize, the federal su- subpoena, by the way, asking for millions of search records as mm-hmm. they try to bolster their claim that a federal anti-pornography law And let's actually, is you necessary. know what, let's be clear about what they're asking for. The federal government originally was asking for 
all of the search requests and the URLs returned mm -hmm. for a period of time is pretty for one long week. for one week. And it was a random sampling of one million. No, 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 no. That originally the feds asked for all of them. Oh. Then they backed off and said, okay, we just want a sample of a million. I see. A representative sample. So they're not asking for personal information this time. Right. They are not asking for anything yet. Mm -hmm. But on the basis of the vague possibility that in the future they might for example were they to find a bunch of kitty porn search terms in the random sampling it mm -hmm. is very possible that they would then start asking for personal information well it's not you know what that's not even the fear i think it's more of stuff that doesn't even relate i mean first of all copa is not about kitty porn it's just about anything harmful to children right but they're what they're worried about is Okay, so the Justice Department has all this information, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you look and there's uh, a guy named Muhammad who's been doing right. a college paper about Al-Qaeda. Right. And they hand that over to the FBI and the FBI shows up and arrests the guy. Yeah. and that or, Maybe he they needs to be arrested. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's just an innocent kid doing a college paper. Well, but, but, but that's what I'm saying. They wouldn't is, have the Muhammad information right off the bat. And so that's sort of, so that is the broader view of what I just said, which is I guess if they find search terms that right. are of concern. Then they take it a step further. They could go back and subpoena further information. Right. And pretty soon your privacy is, is somewhat in danger. And that's Google's defense is that this is overreaching, burdensome, and harassing. Right. Because so, what the government wants to do is they want to show that filtering is ineffective and therefore we need the Ch Child Online Protection Act. Mm -hmm. Right. They want to say that we have to make it illegal to put dangerous content for children, whatever that is, out in the open because there's no effective way of preventing children from finding it otherwise. Right. And so this is like seven steps away is to say we need all these search results so we can comb through them and make a case that the content exists out there. You know what, folks? I think you could make that case otherwise. Right. I think I mean, you could do your own searches. Yeah. I mean, seriously, like just have Bob at the FBI do those searches and then use those search results. I mean, you know, why do you need to subpoena millions MSN, of consumer AOL, records? Yahoo, and yes. Google. That is, and why the point, do you need all of that? Why do you need all of that? And what we've been trying to get to without all this background, because we keep getting all fired up about it all over again, is that Google is the only company so far to say no. Right. MSN, AOL, and Yahoo have all turned it over. Well, and we don't know what they turned over because they are not talking. Even worse. But they all may have made their own deals. For instance, AOL has gone the farthest and said that they provided aggregated information and no personal information. Mm -hmm. So... They may have provided something much less than what they're even asking Google. Right. Google is just the only one who took it public and said, uh-uh, yeah, we're said, fighting this. Oh, heck no. No way at all. Right. Whereas AOL and MSN and Yahoo did their own negotiations. And it could be nothing more than a bad PR nightmare for AOL, MSN, and Yahoo, but it is indeed that. Because now, now it looks like Google is the only one that's like standing up for your rights well, and, and, your it, and it's not a privacy issue for Google. That's another key little niggling thing. Right. Here. It's a no, you cannot come in here and ask it's for Google our Google saying like, uh, our uh, stuff. this is a burdensome request. Yep. Interesting. Which is what makes it really interesting to find out what MSN, AOL, and Yahoo did because... How burdensome is it? If they did it the same, then Justice Department could say, well, they did it. Right. But if they didn't... Then... Well, and if that's just Google's external <laughs> argument, what is their internal argument? Like, do you think that actually could be about privacy or do you think oh, it's yeah. actually I about think... them not wanting to turn over their algorithm? I, I mean, think, who knows? I think they are trying to to draw a line in the sand, for sure. Yeah. But their legal argument is that it's burdensome. Yeah. I mean, you can walk into the Google offices, apparently, and they're scrolling up is all the search terms being done on Google right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I you mean, can look at the Google zeitgeist. It's not like it's yeah. not, you know, it's not like they're not letting you know. What does the Justice Department really need here? Yeah. 
And that's and that is the question. And that's what makes me wonder if it's actually maybe it is a business consideration. Maybe Google is afraid that if someone were to get their hands on these records, compare all of the results. Oh, there's a trade for similar search thing, yeah. terms. They could get some sense. Yeah, some and they've insight. Said, they've said into that the too. Google algorithm. Right. Okay. They have said that it's also a trade secrets thing. There you go. But I figured <sighs> it out all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, Intel Mac Mac reviews are uh, CNET has one. Several others have one. And guess what? Uh, The performance increase of uh, ten to twenty five percent that Steve boasted of not so not not quite so much. Two to three times faster. Yeah. Yeah, And yeah, I mean, it is no surprise that people are not finding two to you know two to three times performance increases. Walt Mossberg said the same thing. Oh, ten to twenty five percent is what most people are finding. Not. Yeah. Not. Two to three times Doubling what he said, people are finding 10 to 25%, okay. and then they're only finding that on the universal applications like iLife. So obviously these are not, I mean, again, no surprise that, of course, you can tweak the benchmarks internally however you want and make them as obscure as possible or, you know, whatever it is to make it look that fast. Well, and, and another thing is these companies that are doing the reviews are testing the actual speed of the performance on real-world applications. Yeah. Whereas what Steve was saying was, this is how fast floating point goes. Right. Which isn't the same thing. And it's not that is not something that most consumers are going to encounter when they fire up Photoshop. Veronica looks nonplussed. <laughs> She's like, I don't care. She's <laughs> like, still rocks. More bad news, however, is that um, part of the excitement, I think, at least in the past, about Macs moving onto the Intel platform, is that you could potentially in the future see, like, a commodity Mac. Yeah, because those, mm-hmm. Intel, those Intel processors faster. are cheaper than a power PC, right? Um, not that much. No. Uh, no. Business Week did a little breakdown of the costs of uh, creating one of these new Intel Macs. They said that it costs Apple $898 to assemble the iMac before loading it with software and packing it in a box. And the most expensive component in the iMac is the Intel Core Duo processor. They're paying about $265 a piece now, for the chip. Which means they, they're not going to get a lot cheaper is in, that in the, the near term. Is that because the Core Duo is new? Maybe. I mean, would, would the price it of that down. come down? Yeah, I mean, it could go down. And it could be, you know, and Apple's probably getting a fairly decent um, discount. It says two other Intel-made chips, which sit between the Core Duo and other systems in the computer, cost $14 and $31, respectively. That makes Intel's total silicon content in the new machine worth about $310, or more than one-third of the cost of materials. Eeks. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, so you're not gonna you're not gonna be seeing co- commodity price max anytime soon. There but will at, be no two hundred ninety nine dollar max. At the same time, I don't think I ever believed that apples would be cheap. No, but I think what are you gonna have to be snobby about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if they were to get cheap, <laughs> how are you going to feel I'm better so than everyone else? About that. If anyone so could've... joking, do not flame me. <laughs> I swear to God, <laughs> too late. How can too you feel late. better it's than everyone done. else if anyone can? Have Who would one? ever flame Veronica? She's so pretty. <laughs> What? <laughs> <laughs> nice. All of a sudden, everyone who was about to flame her just went, oh. That's true. Oh. <laughs> oh, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> uh, Apple also breaking RSS with their new photo casting feature. This was a big deal in the keynote speech. They, they made a, a thing that uh, in iPhoto, you can actually instantly create a yeah. photo cast that puts your photos out in a stream. Unfortunately, right. the application <laughs> violates core XML and RSS standards. No. And Dave Weiner, who is essentially the creator of the RSS, uh, says, according to the Slashdot posting, that, you know what, it's pretty bad. It's not just them yeah. trying to expand it. Like, they just got a lot of stuff wrong. You, you can't even open it and yeah. look at, at the feed. I tried. 
and it's oh, very weird. Really? Yeah. Well, didn't they? But there's no like governing body like saying like how you can modify a feed, is there? Well, there's an XML. There XML there, has, for okay. Yeah, and yeah. I think well, there are XML validation, but I think but there is a question about like wh- how do you validate applications and websites for RSS? There's a post about that mm-hmm. on Slashdot, and I don't know. I mean, there's an RSS validation utility that will actually. Yeah, I don't know. That it will validate websites, but not applications. There's yeah, a, I think there's was, a feed validator. Yeah, there's, there's I tons use feed, feed validators, validators. for websites, but not for applications, is what this post is saying. But it was just weird because in but in the feed, keynote, mm. anyway, in the keynote he said they were using you know standard RSS, right. I believe, and that's totally not true. Wasn't there the same issue with iTunes though? Wasn't the XML like their XML requirement? They require proprietary tagging or not proprietary, yeah, there's, there's, but, there's but there's iTunes tagging. specific there's tagging iTunes specific tags yeah. for that for podcasting. So they've sort of like. But they're they in addition to. They're it, not but. changing. They don't change any of the st- of the of the regular feed. Like you can still have right. But you can't. Tags but you can't do feed. any kind of standardized tagging and hope to show up on iTunes. No. Which is sort of like that's very <laughs> Apple. Yeah. You know. I mean, they don't care really. Like it's funny because the I think the open source community has sort of embraced Apple since they came out with OS X and it had mm-hmm. the Darwin kernel and the woo woo. But it's not, don't be fooled into thinking that they're so open source or that they're so friendly to the standards or whatever. They have always been proprietary. They even just put out a new update to some of their, to some of their tags in the feeds. I got an email about it. Oh, yeah, I saw that email. Yeah. Yeah. There is an RSS dev group that puts out an RSS standard. In fact, there's RSS 2.0 is the latest RSS Mm -hmm. standard. So there's a standard. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's a standard. Well, you just said, like, is there even any... A validator. Huh? A valid, an RSS well, the, you know validator what? for applications. I'm just reading the comment, dude. I don't want to argue because I don't know about, <laughs> well, enough I'm about it. I'm arguing with that comment because, yeah. yeah, you okay, can use... Okay, maybe you could email that guy because I don't know. You can use that, I mean, uh, for a feed to exist on the web, it has to, for a feed to go out on the internet, it has to exist and be applicable. So you could use any web-based validator to access that file. Okay, well, to any extent, doesn't work that There's way. There's a standard, though. Apple, if anybody can validate it, Apple can. Done. Well, fine. Validate this. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> Let's move on to Microsoft. Tempers are flaring. <laughs> I'm really not that angry about it. I don't know why y'all are reacting like that. Microsoft, which has still not managed to ship Windows Vista, has nevertheless made a big splash about announcing the new name, the new code name for the next version of Windows. Vienna. Vienna. Yeah. Why? Okay. Why? Well, and you know, the funny okay. thing is they already had a code name, Blackcomb. Yeah. <laughs> And Which, so they, they came out and they made an announcement. We're changing the new code name of Blackcomb to Vienna. Now great. we can't tell you anything else about it. Go back to your business. <laughs> Maybe if they spent. Okay. Also, that's hilarious because Windows XP was used to be called Whistler. Longhorn used to be, Vista Vista used used to be, be called yeah. Longhorn. Like maybe if you spent a little less time naming <laughs> iterations of Windows and more times building the thing. We would Jeez. actually see it. Well, it's, you know, whatever. It's it's fine. It's just like, why just not leave it at Blackcomb? Was this an employee uh, morale thing? Or like, it's just time did now. Did Vienna test better? Was somebody going to sue? Yeah, it just it's weird timing. I liked and, Longhorn and better than name. Vista. I liked Longhorn a lot better than Vista, personally. Hook 'em horns. Hook 'em horns. Hey, happy birthday to the PC virus. Turned 20 yesterday. <laughs> Yay. Brain. Tomorrow's, tomorrow's my half birthday. Aww. Hey. Oh. Happy and half birthday. Thanks. Do you, do you measure Brain. your half birthday in half years? No. no. Brain was a boot sector virus let loose in January 1986 and spread via floppy disk. Aww. Aww. Didn't spread very fast. Are there baby so photos? <laughs> I want to see the baby photos. 
A little sneaker net virus. That's adorable. <laughs> uh, email from Brian, who noticed, uh, we haven't really talked about this. This has been flipping around for a while, that if you launch Google Earth uh, and you go to certain intersections, his he found one in Tustin, California, you can see advertising painted on the top of buildings. <gasps> now, Brian was worried that Google was actually Photoshopping this stuff in, which as far as I know, they're not. People are actually painting, like there's a Target ad painted yeah. on top of buildings. But Brian, I'm afraid you've just given Google an idea. <laughs> no, totally. <laughs> well, or their their ad sales people. Like, ad, ooh, ooh, hey, that's, that's brilliant. a fantastic idea. We just Photoshop it in. Fantastic. Anybody, and then we can swap them out and we can have trafficking and you can have measure the impressions based oh, on like, what per CM. I, I saw a great thing that somewhere. I, I can't smart. remember where it was, but some guy found himself on Google Earth. Like, physical body oh, wow. on really? Google Earth. He apparently had spent the whole summer that summer like sitting out on his back front porch with his friend like, you know, drinking iced tea and like <laughs> watching the world go by. I think it was in England. <gasps> and if you zoom in close enough, you can see two figures in sitting front of the, the house sitting there. He's like, this is totally me. Wow, My he goodness. really did that all year, didn't he? I yeah. wish I could remember where it was. That's but, awesome. Uh, Another excellent email this love one's great. from Taha. I had a kind of economy-threatening discovery that I wanted to share. So there are a bazillion lawsuits going on out there about copyright, but if you open a dictionary to the first page where all the publication dates and stuff is, it says, no part of this publication may be reproduced in part or whole by any means. And you just reproduced it. So Taha says, basically, right then and there, talking, typing, and writing in English are infringement of copyright. Huh. In fact, just reading, it, it's a dictionary. just reading that copyright oh. notice was apparently could, an infringement could. of copyright. Sorry, legal. Wow. <laughs> yeah, uh, that is disturbing and hilarious. Sam noticed yesterday that we mentioned a story about Google and said, Google said to news.com and wondered, yeah. does that mean Google's talking to news.com again? <laughs> yes, Sam, they're best friends. They made up. They made up. I don't BFF know if they're best friends. friends. They're BFF. BFF, but they did make Forever. up. Forever. Yeah, they Google quietly Google decided. News.com. What, was it like three months, yeah, two months? Yeah, like three months yeah. of us making fun of them and everybody else making fun of them. And now they said, okay, 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 okay. We're Eric, sorry. Eric in New Hampshire <laughs> points out that he can already play MP3s on a Windows device because he has Windows Mobile and he can play MP3s and watch videos and he doesn't have any of those DRM problems. This is a, well, yeah, it does. This is in relation to um, yesterday's story about Steve Jobs saying that Microsoft should start making MP3 players. Eric says, well, they already do. It's Windows Mobile devices. So there. So there, <laughs> Steve Jobs. Shout out to Mirror Theory right up north from us in Roanoke Park, California. Says he's new to podcasting with his Vision M. Or maybe it's a her, actually. I don't mm-hmm. know. New to podcasting with my Vision M, but love it. Which I totally want to get email about because I still, still cannot decide. Decided, have you? I'm a Gemini. <laughs> I'll live like this for years, really. This one or this one? This one or this one? 1-800-616-CNET. Give us some calls. We could use them. And uh, we're also available on the email. If you want to use that electronic mail, send it to buzz at cnet.com or find us on the interweb, forums.cnet.com. And look for the Buzz Out Loud Lounge. Bye. Bye. Bye.